This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the latest Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo. I'm Joe Rimmer, your host, and I'm joined by three slightly bemused-looking gentlemen to discuss what has been a very strange few days for Liverpool. We should be building up to the Merseyside derby. We're not. That's been called off along with all the other Premier League games and, in fact, all the professional football in the UK until April 4th. Paul Ghost, you're alongside me, our full-time Liverpool reporter, both home and away, but not going home and away at the moment. How are we, Paul? Yeah, slightly down the dumps. We're facing up now to the period of no football and it's what do we talk about, what do we write about, what do we... How do we live? How do we get through day to day? Yeah, we shall find out. It's going to be a really surreal few weeks. I'd suggest the Echo HQ. Yeah, it's not like we've not we've we've dealt with days where there's been no football before. Yeah, I mean it's a it's an international break without international football, and we don't like them to begin with. Do we? we don't like them at the best of times. Yeah. We haven't even got the topics of Liverpool players playing for the countries to have a little stab at. So we'll see where we go. Hello. To my left is Matt Addison. Matt, you well? No coughs, no tight chest, no temperatures? <laughs> Not yet, anyway. Um, yeah. Hopefully that stays the, the case. But yeah, it feels like such a long time since there was any football going on and it's really not been that long at all, has it? No. And one man who's not in self-isolation is Dan Kay. How are we, Dan? Isolation. Well, you know, bit fed up like everybody else and, you know, the uncertainty, not just regarding football, but life in general, I think has got a, you know, a few people, everyone feeling a little bit scattered at the minute. But what can you do but make the best of it? And that's what we'll do. Well, I'll stick with you, Dan, because I think you hit the nail on the head there. I think of everything that's going on at the moment, that's the big word. It's the uncertainty. It's yeah. not knowing... We talk about April 4th, but I think most of us here Seems would agree hugely that... unlikely, doesn't it? We, yeah, it, it does seem unlikely that football will return. Um, Dan, how, is that is that the biggest problem, just the, the unknown at the moment? I think the biggest problem, you know, in a general sense, is the unknown regarding people's lives and health. And I think it's important to make the point that as much as we all love football, and it's a major part of our personal and professional lives, people's health and well-being is by a mile the most important thing. And I think that's what's concerning most people, whether it comes to elderly relatives or friends or family with underlying health conditions that might be in in, in big trouble should they get this virus. And obviously, you know, we hope for everybody's sake that everyone stays as well as they can. But obviously, in a fo- you know, this is a football podcast, so we have to talk about football. And I think, you know, in, in both senses, I think once we know where we are, and you'd like to think within the next couple of days, we'll at least have some inkling as to how the next few days and weeks will, p- will play out. At least you're then able to kind of start preparing and planning and getting your head around mm-hmm. it. At the moment, as you say, it's the uncertainty that I think that it, it, I think whenever you're kind of struggling a little bit in life, I always kind of think one of the main things to do is identify the problem. And at the minute, because we haven't fully identified it, rumour and hearsay and people saying this and other people saying that, nobody really knows where they stand at the minute. And, you know, you've just got to hope and pray that hopefully in the coming days there will be a little bit more clarity given by the government, the medical authorities, the powers that be. And we could all start to kind of try and get our heads around it a bit more. Well, Gorsley, you, you wrote a story on Saturday um, making clear what's going on at Melwood at the moment. Obviously, Melwood closed down on Friday. Um, what more can you tell us about what Liverpool are doing, both at Melwood and at an academy level, to, to combat or at least avoid um, the spread of this virus? Yeah, well, the, we actually got sent an email around on, on Friday morning. Um, the, originally, Jordan a week saying Jürgen Klopp's press conference is going to be at Anfield instead of Melwood. As they try to basically keep Melwood free of, of any kind of spread or anything and then on, with the email on the Friday saying Jürgen Klopp's press conference was going to be cancelled 
I think that came quite early on as well. It was around about eight o'clock in the morning. So I think we kind of had a, an inkling that something was afoot. And then Phil Kirkbride, our Everton correspondent, he, he wrote a story that um, a member of the Everton playing staff has been shown signs consistent with coronavirus. So they were asked to stay away from Finch Farm. And then you basically knew that the writing was on the wall and, and the Liverpool squad knew that as well. Um, so you speak to one or two people and, and I was told that um, the atmosphere was... Um, calm, no sense of panic with the fact that Liverpool are not going to have any football to play over the next few weeks at the very least um, it was going to be the last training session at Melwood until um, possibly next week at the earliest but there was no sense of panic, it was all about staying professional uh, keeping fit, away from the, the training ground, adhering to the personal programmes that they've all been given and basically professionalism was the, the buzzword so um, they went on the merry way on, on Friday after that final training session and now they're all training at home in, in the you know their own gyms or wherever it may be, and um, just trying to stay as fit as they can for when it finally does return, if at all it does for this season. Matt, it seems that at a time when we're given very little guidance from the government and perhaps the football authorities, the football clubs themselves have um, have made quite swift and decisive action um, to try and try and get things sorted yeah I mean as you say with the the government and the the authorities it's changed very quickly Mm -hmm. of of what their advice and what what they were were thinking was going to happen it it took Mikel Arteta testing positive for them to change their mind on on this weekend's matches and and things like that so there's been a complete lack of of clarity at at times but yeah it it certainly seems that, that Liverpool and the rest of the football clubs have sort of said well let's just go with the the safest possible measure get yourselves home don't come into to training or, or anything like that and, and self-isolate and, and hopefully, fingers crossed, that can contain it as much as possible. But, of course, it's it's about wider society as well as football and it's not in terms of you know when, when football returns and that sort of thing. It's it's not as much about the players as, as everyone else and, and do we have fans, do we play with, with empty stadiums, things like that. So, s- still, even though more clarity is, is sort of coming day by day and, and we expect more to, to come this week, there's still a, a long way to go before the picture really becomes clear and, and things start to, to clarify as and when this season will resume, which we have to, to hope and, and assume that it will. OK, we'll, we'll touch on various other bits of news later on, but to begin with, Gorsley, there's been so many. I was in all weekend, so were you. Um, it was about trying to pick and find different bits of stories, mm-hmm. but there's been plenty of hot takes on what should happen next. You know, A lot of people saying void the season, other people saying play it out, other people having different theories and I mean two of the, the ones that have really hit home have been Karen Brady um, and then Richard Keyes today um, they both seem to be a little bit of a, an agenda from, from each of them, do you think it's fair to say? Oh, unquestionably and, and Karen Brady as Executive Vice Chair of West Ham um, languishing 16th on goal difference only um, it's no shock to her that she wants the league to be null and void Start afresh, cancel it all, write it all off. Seven months of hard work for so many players and teams. Just scrap it all and begin afresh. Um, self-interest coming right to the fore there, no question about it. The Premier League have um, have got this break now, haven't they, until April the 4th, at the very earliest, as we say. So they don't have to make any knee-jerk decisions now. It's, they've bought themselves a period of time to see what develops, see how the rest of the of the planet you know, continues throughout the, the spread of this, this virus. So no decision needs to be made yet, but um, you know, I think quite a lot of people saw Brady's comments of what they were. She was only interested in West Ham's um, 
preservation in the Premier League, should we say, to, to keep that money rolling in um, on what has been a, a disappointing season for them. Um, Chris Sutton argued two very contrasting points, didn't he? One was, yeah, in, the, was, one one was in the Daily Mail, one was in the Scottish Daily Record. Um, on one hand, he wanted the uh, wanted the league to be um, finished in, in Scotland and award Celtic the title, but he wanted the Premier League not to be... You know, it, is, it essentially... Um, benefited three of his former clubs so Aston Villa Norwich and Celtic but they were two completely different um, I thought it was funny that he tweeted those two are, he, he yeah. tweeted his two columns on the same day with wildly opposite points it, 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 it was strange because he, he was literally arguing for for, for two two different things um, one one in Scottish, Scottish football and one in English football so um, so many people have, are just coming out with, with what they think should happen but nothing needs to be done done or acted upon right now. It's uh, they've, they've got a few weeks, as I say, to to come up with some sort of agreeable plan, and hopefully on Thursday we, we'll have a bit more clarity over the long-term future of this season. But uh, for now, we'll just have to wait and see. This, this talk down of avoiding the season, I just don't get it because <laughs> if if things do resume on April fourth, which all right, we 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 admit it's probably unlikely, but if it if it does, then then you would imagine that they would be able to play the season out. All right, we'll finish late, but not that late. Yeah, I mean, if, if this had all happened, say in September, October, like not that I remember it, but like when the first when the Second World War happened in 1939. You don't remember? No, no, just, just a wee nipper. Yeah, yeah. I've heard. Yeah, um, <laughs> cheeky bullies. Um, They'd only played four or five games, and it would and it made entire sense to just yeah scrap it from the start. But yeah, when as Gorsty said, seven months worth worth, worth of football. I did see some graphic that kind of like worked it out that they played just over seventy five percent, so just over three quarters of the season. Yeah, we're talking nine league games. Obviously, there's some European matches for some clubs to, to factor into that as well. Um, obviously, we've got an agenda as Liverpool supporters who are on the, you know are with us, been on the cusp of a first league title in 30 years. Obviously, we'd be devastated to see that happen. But it's not just about us. You know, there's an awful lot of teams who put blood, sweat, and tears into this season. Um, you know, the likes of Sheffield United and Wolves who are on, on the you know have a great chance of qualifying for, for Europe, possibly the Champions League. Um, Clubs in all divisions that have been battling promotion and relegation. Um, you can't put this much into a season and then just expect it all to be scratched out. Now, we're, of course, we're living in unprecedented times. No one knows how, th- how this is going to pan out. I did actually quite like uh, the Everton manager, Carlo Ancelotti's mm-hmm. take on it over the weekend. One, at one point, I think he said something like, it feels almost... It, 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 I think he said something like, it almost irritates me t- to be talking about football at a time like this. And I do think, as Gorsley said at the minute, we don't have to make a decision on it. Get the important things sorted, i.e. people's health. And then we can start to factor how the other kind of elements of, of life and society will fit in around that. One thing that may aid the situation and, and kind of help the powers that be realise that they have the ability to think outside the box and come up with some creative solutions is, of course, um, you know, in two years' time, there's a, there's a Winter World Cup. So there was already going to be a change to how seasons were structured. And, you know... To underline again, it's too early to start coming out with definitive plans now. But I think it's worth remembering that, that kind of, you know, football seasons don't have to last for May, August to May just because they always have done. It's 2022. People can and will need to be very flexible in how they go about approaching this. But yeah, ultimately, those who've been banging the drum for um, everything to be, you know, for, for everything to be wiped out are A, the likes of Karen Brady, who obviously has her own agenda to bear or the likes of Richard Keyes, who's just desperate for a bit of attention, 
um, yeah, the former Sky, former disgraced Sky Sports presenter who's now stuck out in the Middle East, desperate to, for some kind of relevance and to make a quick headline, and, and he's been able to do that today. So, good luck to him. Well, Matt, the, the, the decision to null and void, I mean, we, we can all talk about, we can say, look, you can't have a definitive answer now until we find out more about what's going on with the, the disease, what's going on with the football that, come, that, that comes after that. But the actual calls are null and voided. That seems to be the one one thing to me that there's just no need to do because whatever happens, surely you would look at next season and you would look to play with next season before you would say cancel this one, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, on, on every level, as you say, it, it makes absolutely no sense. I think financially it wouldn't make sense because we've played 28, 29 games and, and that would make no sense at all. Legally as well, I mean... Liverpool is probably the easiest of the problems to sort out in terms yeah, of the title. Yeah. Mm. You think of Sheffield United, as, as Dan said, in terms of the European places, and even more so the, the relegation and promotion. How on earth would you would you go about sorting that out in a in a fair way? And I know you've looked at the the model in in Chile of, of what they did, and perhaps that's something that the Premier League could look at. But first and foremost, I think I think for everyone, the number one priority is just to finish the season reassess where we're at then and as Dan says the Premier League calendar is going to be messed about with mm-hmm. in the next couple of years anyway it's really not that difficult to, to work out that there is a solution and anybody who thinks otherwise is has probably got an, an underlying agenda well, that, That's it, what you say about Leeds and, and, and West Brom for example and the, the other teams in divisions below that are all trying to get promoted I mean, they would tie up Gorsley, they would tie up the the Premier League or the football authorities in so many legal yeah. challenges because for them it's worth not just the money the TV money that you get for getting to the Premier League but they would argue we could stay up and, and this could keep this club going for 20, 30 years you know I, I don't if, if Leeds don't go up the season for example and then they don't go up the season after it could just change the course of the history for them couldn't it? 100% as Matt says Liverpool's situation would be the, the least of the Premier League worries. You know, Triton and Leeds United, with their supporter base, one of the most fiercely passionate fan bases in the country, one of the biggest fan bases in the country, that we're sorry you've done so well this season, but you're not going up. Um, Leeds would, would be hand in the Premier League with all kinds of litigation, you would imagine. West Brom would do the same. You only look at Sheffield United and, and West Brom, uh, West Ham, 2007 was it with all that yeah, Carlos Tevez stuff yeah. and that was just a simple case of playing the player whose registration was in in question um, and there was so much legal wranglings over that so um, a decision to non avoid the Premier League would just be the absolute worst case scenario for, for everyone um, how they come around and, and get around sorting the season um it's down to them, and there are a few options on the table, but surely just cancelling and forgetting about it is the the last thing that they can do. I must say, Dan, I think it's quite distasteful that the, the likes of Brady and Keys and, and anyone really, if you're yeah. not a, diff- a different fan, saying you should null and void the season. Well, it's just it is. It's unfair. It is. It's it's also entirely predictable. Yeah, that's true. because it, it's very very clear where the motive behind this comes. Um, and I think it's important to say probably there's, there's, there's a lot of West Ham fans who've got very little time yeah, yeah. for the ownership of their club and and I don't think they, there's probably plenty of them that wouldn't feel too easy about basically just getting off the hook on a technicality like this. I think another element to this to mention as well is also broadcasters and sponsors that have paid significant yeah. amounts of money for, you know, to have three quarters of, the, of this season play out. And obviously there's a lot of different narratives within and around the season, championships, 
Champions League places, relegation, cup runs and so on. And for that all to just be wiped, it may well be that they would have something to say and, and, and their lawyers might have, things, mm-hmm. have something to say afterwards. At the end of the day, money talks. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I've you know, I felt from the start that while I always expected certain figures within the game to bang the drum, and obviously Liverpool's rivals to kind of bait us and banter, much though I load that word, on, on social media about that, I've never really felt there was any like, real credibility or likelihood of that possibility coming to pass just because... The, as, as, as Gorsi said, the, the likely litigation that would potentially ensue from something like that would be long-running and eye-wateringly expensive. OK, well, look, let's move on from coronavirus and the talk around it because... We're all I think it's, it. and, and I think it's fair to say, isn't it, that we, it's just all speculation and we, yeah. can, and we can sit here and speculate, but um, I think it's fair to say that we don't know any more than anyone else because we're all in the dark about this so it'll be interesting to see how it develops in the coming days you're ready for have a meeting tomorrow um, Tuesday and, and the Premier League meet again on Thursday so I think by the end of the week we will get a bit more clarity and perhaps find out what's going forward The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo Another little bit of news today Gorsty um, Liverpool have missed out on is it Glenn Driscoll? Arsenal's Club doctor, um, they were trying to replace Andy Massey. Um, give us an update on that and, and what Liverpool's medical department looks like uh, in the interim. Yeah, so Andy Massey was the head of medical services, wasn't he? And he joined FIFA at the beginning of the month um, to basically take over as director of their medical department. So Liverpool have known about this for, where are we now, March? So at least three months. Um, so they've been in the hunt for a new head of medical services, Arsenal's... Um, Gary O'Driscoll, you, you throw me off there. Um, he's <laughs> he was the one who. Who's Glenn Driscoll? Does it, is there a Glenn Driscoll? Have I, have I made that? Sean O'Driscoll, wasn't he? Sean O'Driscoll, number two for a bit. Yeah, and didn't didn't about five minutes, yeah. think, didn't Rogers have a, a, another Driscoll? I'm sure he did. Anyway, but I digress. Yeah, so O'Driscoll was the the one who kind of been earmarked and headhunted, if you like, and um, looked like he, he was going to be be joining. Um, Arsenal was so resigned to losing them, they actually advertised for his job on their website in back in January. And he's had a late change of heart um, for for whatever reason, um, personal personal circumstances. It, it was reported as so. Liverpool are still on the hunt for, for Massey's replacement. So as it stands, Jim Moxon, who is the academy doctor, he's, he's been with the club since 2016. Um, previously worked with um, the aquatic team at the London Olympics and Sheffield United and Sheffield Wednesday. He's uh, just carrying on as, as the club's doctor in the interim period, which you'd imagine at the moment is probably a, a busy job, isn't yeah, it, with everything yeah. that's going on. Um, so yeah, he's in place and Liverpool search will go on for a new head of medical services, but um, I think they've got more pressing concerns just now. Definitely. Okay, um, final little segment then. We have little else to talk about. A couple of very good on this days this weekend, which we can milk for all they're worth. On Saturday, it was um, ooh, 11 years. 11 years. It's been that long since Liverpool beat Manchester United 4-1 at Old Trafford. Oh, yes. What um, a great day. Rafa was cracking up, wasn't he, Dan? He was. That's what they were all singing um, on the back of the uh, a couple of months before his famous yeah. fact outburst before Liverpool's uh, press conference head of a game with Stoke. And the, you know, the lead Liverpool had at the top of the Premier League kind of withered away and we all kind of trooped up down the East, down the East Lancashire Road. You in the way end that day? Say again? You in the I was in the away end, yeah. And it was very much a feeling that we, were, I think we'd have maybe a six or seven point lead, but United had kind of even though Liverpool only lost two games that season, United had stretched clear a little bit and it was basically last chance saloon. I think if Liverpool had lost that game, it was all over. Cristiano Ronaldo gave United the lead from the from the penalty spot. 
midway through the first half, and I think we all thought, blimey, here we go again. But Liverpool resplendent in one of the, their finest ever away kits, I would yeah. suggest. Oh, yeah. That Lovely all great. Yeah. Love that kit. Um, came roaring back. Uh, Nemanja Vidic's nemesis, Fernando Torres, as, as he became, um, robbed him and scored a, a, a brilliant equaliser in front of the away end. Steven Gerrard put us in front from the penalty spot. And uh, in the second half, Liverpool kind of weathered the storm. Vidic got, I think, was the f- second of four red cards against Liverpool. It was it four, yeah, that many? It was either three or four, yeah. I think, yeah. It, was, I think it was three on the bounce. Mm. Um, and then in Dossena week, only a couple of days after having uh, put the coup de grace on a 4-0 victory over Real Madrid in the Champions League the week before, he did exactly the same uh, by lobbing at... Um, Edwin van der Sar in the United goal. And it was a very, very memorable 4-1 win. And the start of a really exhilarating few weeks as a Liverpool fan because I think the following week we we beat Villa and they lost at Fulham. Um, And then it flipped round the other week. I think Grand National weekend, Yossi Benayoun's very, very late goal gave Mm. us a win at Fulham. And United was 2-1 at home to Aston Villa with a couple of minutes to go. And then... Federico Makeda, who never did anything before. (laughs) I think he scored the winner at Sunderland the week after, but never did anything after came to their rescue when we thought our curse for a league title, well, we knew our, our curse for a league title was going to continue into a, what was what would become a third decade. I reckon that 4-0 Real Madrid, 4-1 Man United was possibly my favourite week in terms of, if you take out trophy wins, but yeah. my favourite week. For Hard to top. One was the Tuesday night, or was it the Wednesday night and then the yeah, Tuesday Wednesday and then yeah. the United yeah. game was Maybe the early kick-off Saturday, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. I remember that, yeah. How old are you, Matt? I would have been 11, I think, at that time. Oh. Um, so yeah, feel- I, I remember it well, though. It was a fantastic week, as you I said. I was only 15. Uh, <laughs> and the, the, um, 51, Matt? How sad. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, it, was, it was a hell of a week. Strange season, that course, because I, I always think there's been a little bit of a... There was always a little bit of a narrative that... Rafa messed it up, but as Dan said, they they lost two games and, and United points. United always had games in hand because mm. they went and played. Yeah. And I think the club, club World, World Cup, Cup didn't yeah, they? Yeah. So they, and a great side, Tevez, yeah. Rooney, Ronaldo. Yeah. One of their best, much, yeah. much more strength and depth than, than Liverpool yeah. ever had. And you know, it, it was a very good season. It was just pesky draws. Yeah, Liverpool should never have sold Robbie Keane. Um, yeah, yeah even the mother, if the mother yeah. sale no, well, and, and didn't replace him. It was one thing well, to sell exactly. him, but to not replace she him. Just got rid of him and just thought, oh, we'll just muddle on and, and with Elzar yeah. coming off the bench. I, I think yeah. that was the first sign. I mean, there, there must have been others, but I remember in, certainly in terms of transfers, the first sign that Hicks and Gillette were, yeah. were not all on the same page. Yeah, yeah. Where they were cracked up to be. You think of of all the the draws that Liverpool had that season. If Robbie Keane was coming off the bench in, in a couple of them for 25 minutes, half an hour, you have to think at some point a couple of those draws would have became wins. But you was know. a couple beat United home and away that year. Yeah, frustrating. Yeah. Was it, I remember they, they drew nil nil and nil nil with Fulham and West Ham. There was a few before Christmas. Drew like nil nil with West Ham to go top of the league, and I remember yeah. everyone booed. booed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not everyone, but it was, um, it was a frustrating one. Do you remember much of that season? Uh, broadly speaking, not not a great deal to be honest, just because of my age. But I mean, the the big moments certainly the the Real Madrid, the United, those sorts yeah. of fixtures. I, I certainly remember those, and yeah, it was yeah one one of the first seasons that I do remember, sort of the majority of to be honest. But yeah, certainly yeah, prime Torres. Real Madrid yeah. weren't much good, but that that was one hell of a win, wasn't it? Just to take them out in the way that they did, and it, uh, Torres. I don't think I've ever seen a player. In a game so aggressive so as he went into up. that game, I think he just had the point to prove. 
Although it was the most bang on foul for the, um, yeah. the opening goal. It was, but in the first five minutes, he produced one of the greatest <sighs> almost goals the Liverpool turn. have ever scored. Mm. The was turn, it, like, through his legs, yeah. possibly on yeah. Pepe. Straight through on Casillas, and Casillas somehow just got like the inside of his calf yeah, to yeah. it and put it wide. But it was one of those great, you know, and this is one, one of the kind of key aspects, I think, of a lot of the great European nights in recent years. They were all started fast, whether yeah. it's like an early chance or an early corner, and it just ignites the crowd. Yeah. And it was, it, was a, it was a fantastic fantastic two legs, because the, the first game over there was actually the first game I ever covered from a press box in the Echo. The, the, the Benny Yoon header yep. so it was a very very memorable tie um, for me personally and you just felt this you know, the other kind of and just to show kind of what, what a basket case of the, of the way the club was on the, the afternoon of that first leg when we were in Madrid you know getting all the pre-match atmosphere suddenly all these rumours emerged from Liverpool that Benitez was on the brink of the sack oh, yeah, of even course, though Liverpool yeah, yeah. were kind of like you know in the last 16 of the Champions League fighting for the title and I remember getting dispatched to do a load of Vox Pops around around fans around the ground going, have you heard this about Benitez? Yeah. And it was it, it, it was such a, a season of kind of contrasts mm. where, you know, on the pitch, Liverpool were, you know, Gerard and Torres at their peak, yeah. strong team with like the Hippier and Mascherano and Rayner in goal. And yet off the field, things were rapidly starting to unravel. In it. And it's so frustrating because, you know, the following season, Rafa wasn't really able to bring in the players he wanted. Everything kind of really did, did start to fall apart. And you're always left with that feeling about Benitez's reign. If the owners had been the kind of owners they pitched themselves at when they arrived, would Rafa have been the man that ended that long wait for a title? We'll never know. Yeah, OK, well, another another almost. Um, six years ago today, I can't believe it's been six years since this as well, Liverpool went to Old Trafford again mm. and they won 3-0. And that was one of the... Of course, it was one of the easiest games I think I've seen Liverpool play anywhere, never mind Old Trafford. They that, just walked. That performance was one of the best... I've ever seen and I always love that Brendan Rodgers team I love the second half of that season in particular and I think this was probably the the height of it wasn't it Luis Suarez absolutely terrorised them that day should have been about 6-7-0 it really should have Sturridge missed a big chance I think Suarez was denied with a great save from the higher Joe missed um, the pen yeah, Mr. yeah, Mr. Ben. Scored two but pens. missed one hit the post didn't he yeah. just went there and absolutely beat them out of sight and um, that was just a, an incredible day and it, it it was obviously United were falling apart with David Moyes about a month away bef- before he got sacked. But that Liverpool that day was just incredible, and, and Suarez in particular, what a what a performance. Dan, David Moyes, football genius. That was the chance. That that was. I was in the away end again. That was the chance for the away end. One thing I remember particularly about that day, which I actually went to with our our good pal Sean, who had a spare ticket that day, and and we bumped into some wild character by Anfield (laughs) in some in some cafe by Anfield at like nine o'clock in the morning, and he ended up being right by us in the away end. Ironically enough, when we got onto the ground, but what what I what I remember more than anything else, particularly about that day, was when the third goal went in. and yeah, well, we've been on a fantastic run. I think, well, I know it was 11 straight wins before that Chelsea game. So it was maybe six or seven straight wins on the bounce at that point. And people had been starting to talk about, oh, it could be with an outside chance of the title here. When that third goal went in, I remember kind of getting a bit emotional thinking, wow, this is actually really happening. This really genuinely, legitimately could happen. And it should have done. Yeah, sure. But it didn't. You a bit older then? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Can you remember that one? Yeah. Like you yeah. will be pleased yeah. to remember uh, to, to know. Yeah. Um, what I mean, what an incredible season that was, and that, that was one of the the moments of that season. I think the the, the way that Liverpool won that game, as course, you said it was just you, you turned up knowing. I think that, that Liverpool probably were were going to win. The way that they did it though was was the way that really sort of changed things. And, and as Dan said, in in the away end, people 
people knew, people watched on television like myself. It just felt like such a, a huge moment and it's one of those games that when you, whenever Liverpool play Manchester United now in future, there's always going to be people talking yeah. about, oh, do you remember when that happened? And that just goes to show, you know, how, how big of an occasion it was. Okay, another significant on this day. Uh, Gorsi and I would have been 10, 11 years away. Matt, you you weren't even thought of yet. Um, Dan, you were about... You're <laughs> for abusing you. In actual fact... About 25, 30? I, I was about... I'm not sure what one this is. About, two, about, about 10 weeks, about two months before I was born. This was You're the, talking March 77. This was the oh, right, most yeah, famous... Yeah. I, I, do you think that... Probably not after Barcelona, but I, I still think that this is the most famous European night for... In terms of, like... For my age, it was something you heard about from your mm. dad, and anyone else, I think, would have, would have Super Sub Strikes again. Saint Etienne, nineteen seventy-seven, the yeah. European Cup quarter-final, second leg. Liverpool lost the first leg in France, one-nil. Um, Saint Etienne, I think, had been to the final the previous year, lost to Bayern Munich at Hampden Park, and they were very much felt to be the best team in Europe. One of the first away European crowds to really travel to Anfield as well. There were lots of French in the ground singing Allez la Vert, which is mm-hmm. come on you greens for the uninitiated. <laughs> and uh, Liverpool got off to the perfect start. Kevin Keegan um, clipped a corner, went straight in after two minutes. I think you know Liverpool were already won the league in 76. So and, and we're on course to retaining it that year in 77. Um, but early in the second half, uh, Bart and I, he of the sweaty armpits, if you've ever seen the video footage, slammed one in from about 35 yards at the Anfield Road end. And obviously with away goals, that meant that Liverpool needed two. Uh, but Ray Kennedy pulled one back straight away. And then the iconic super sub, David David Fairclough, the bionic carrot, as he was also sometimes known because of his red hair, um, got on with about, I think in the last 10 minutes or so, got on the end to a, a long, hopeful ball from Ray Kennedy and slotted beneath the cop. And you know, the, the pictures, the videos of that night, whether you're, whether you're my age, your age, or yeah. our granddad's age is remain among the most iconic in Anfield history because that was the seed. Once we went on to win it in Rome two months later, everybody knew, well, it w- wouldn't have happened without that St. Etienne moment. And I was kind of thinking Gerard's goal against Olympiacos in 2005 was almost like the equivalent of it. Yeah. You only really appreciate the true value of it once the end goal has been reached, which obviously course, it was, not yeah. Of course, but don't you think that that seed, that Liverpool is still feeling the benefits years and years later yeah. of, of, of a moment like that because... The Anfield crowd, I remember going to Chelsea oh. in 2005 and people were talking about then, this is the power that Anfield can have. They 100%. Can push and just to give you a couple of brief little examples, outside the Wanda Metropolitano three or four weeks ago before the first leg in Madrid, we were there quite early and, and yeah, we went to do the, the stadium tour and we just got chatting to some French fellow in the queue who just happened to be in Spain at the time, um, was near the ground and basically had watched that game back in 1977 mm-hmm. and Liverpool had always made an imprint on his mind. About 10 years before, I was on a press trip to the south of France and even uh, even the guy looking after us was a big Marseille fan. He said, I've always loved Liverpool ever since St Etienne. I'd love to take my son to Anfield one day. Mm. And he did. We, we, we kept in touch and he came over about a year afterwards and oh, I sorted nice. tickets for a game. And, you know, that just two little, two little examples about how that, amongst probably a fair few very special Anfield nights, have that kind of resonance that goes way beyond Liverpool. Brilliant. We'll, we'll, we'll finish off. Um, tomorrow is St. Patrick's Day, so have a good day to all of our Irish listeners, which I know there's many of you. Yep. Um, and Matt, you tell me there's quite a significant on-this-day presence tomorrow, uh, for Klopp especially. Yeah, three games that, that Liverpool have played on the 17th of March under Jurgen Klopp. The first one being the uh, 1-1 draw in the Europa League against Manchester United, the, uh, the famous Coutinho chip over David De Gea's head. I was in the way in that night with, with you, yeah. And that was... Um, well, yeah. Well, I was just <laughs> below you. 
but I was there. And that Can we was... talk about the, the? No, we probably can't talk about the, the, the funniest moments. No, that night. No, carry on. I don't, well, I don't know what you mean, but but that was one of the best goals I've celebrated. Class in any end, of and one of the best half just times because, ever. Oh, just because it was right minutes on the celebration, of time, yeah. and then you knew you were through, and yeah. and Old Trafford just completely, just the life was sucked out of it. Yeah. And that, that's always good. Sorry, sorry, Matt. Yeah, Keep just just on that half time. I mean, some of the, the videos and stuff yeah. and that just looks unbelievably uh, unbelievable. Um, but yeah, uh, a couple of other games as well. Uh, the five nil or one of the five nil victories over Watford, where Mohamed Salah scored four and assisted. The other one mm-hmm. for Roberto Firmino was also on that day. And last year, uh, the late win over Fulham to keep Liverpool in the title race, just going into the international break. So uh, I think Sadio Mane had put Liverpool in front. Ryan Barbel then. Drew it back to one all. And then Horrific Alvison yeah. Van Dyke error. Yeah, yeah. A, a rare error from, from the pair of them. And, and then James Milner gets them off the hook with the, the penalty late on. So I think certainly uh, three big games, you could say, under Jurgen Klopp. And uh, yeah, there will be a piece on the Liverpool Echo website tomorrow about that. Klopp got the look of the Irish on, on his side. <laughs> he did, he did. We'll, we'll definitely be writing about all three of them tomorrow as we try and navigate this break. Right, well, um, all the best to everyone at home. I hope you keep him well. Make sure you look after yourselves. Wash your hands is, yeah. is the message. Stay safe. Sing happy birthday. Yeah. Sing hands. happy birthday. And well, sing and never walk alone. Yeah. Sing and never walk alone. Wash your hands and, and have a great St. Patrick's Day wherever you are and especially to our listeners in Ireland. Take it easy. Cheers. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.